Are you looking for a new job? Are you hiring but struggling to find diverse, talented candidates? Then we have something that can help, our job board. Head on over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to browse listings or to place your own. This week on the job board, BSH Home Appliances Corporation is looking for a senior user interface designer in Irvine, California. For remote work, the Wikimedia Foundation is looking for a lead UX designer for their product design and strategy group. Design Action Collective is looking for a lead web designer in Oakland, California or remotely. And Development Seed is looking for a machine learning engineer in Washington, D.C., Lisbon, Portugal, or remotely. Companies, stop making excuses on your D&I efforts and post your job listings with us. For just $99, your listing will be on our job board for 30 days, and we'll spread the word for you about your job to our diverse audience of listeners. Make sure to head over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs for more info on these listings. Apply today and tell them you heard about the job through Revision Path. Get started with us and expand your job search today. Revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. And this week, I'm talking with web and branding consultant Dana James Mwange, founder of Cheers Creative in Memphis, Tennessee. Let's start the show. All right. So tell us who you are and what you do. I'm Dana James Mwange from Memphis, Tennessee, and I'm founder of Cheers Creative, and I'm a branding and web consultant to industry leaders, creative professionals, and art causes. Nice. Before we get more into Cheers Creative and, of course, your work as a a branding and web consultant, I've kind of just been checking in with everyone just to see how they're doing with this pandemic and lockdowns and everything. So how have you been holding up? This has been a very trying year. This has been a very, probably one of the most difficult years of my adult life, but I've experienced the most growth this year in my adult life, personally, health-wise, and professionally. It was a lot. I had a family member that died, family members in the hospital, and then we have clients that have, you know, just really been discouraged with everything that's going on. So all of that weighed on me. But we were able to pivot and just keep it moving, but just in a new way. And there are some good things that have come out of this time for us and that we just want to continue to keep doing. Well, I'm definitely sorry to hear about the loss. I know there's just been so much loss in general this year, Mm -hmm. but it sounds like you've been able to sort of pivot from that, like you said, and and Mm -hmm. still kind of keep moving forward. Absolutely. And to be honest, at one point, because we didn't know the depth of, you know, how dangerous COVID was, I was like, we could die. And I, for some reason, that just lit a fire under my butt. And I was like, I'm going to do everything (laughs) that I want to do this year. And I have been more productive this year than probably the past two or three years. Wow, that's good. So what are your work days kind of looking like right now? So my work days... So while I'm more productive, I'm working smarter now. So like on my Mondays, that's like my administrative day, the day to check up on emails, uh, interviews, phone calls, and really like really like Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. That's when we're doing a lot of consulting or onboarding clients. And then Fridays, that's my self-care day for mm. the most part. And I, I may take one or two interviews, but for the most part, that's my self-care day. That's nice that you build in a self-care day like that. Mm -hmm. I had to. It took me years to get here, but I did. (laughs) Let's talk about Cheers Creative. Tell me about the company. So I founded Cheers Creative in 2012, and I was a graphic designer. I was a print designer at first. I was doing packaging, package design, but I was always doing freelance on the side. So I wanted to really do that full time because I was really excited about the business owners I was doing work for. Like all these Memphis gyms, these uh, business owners, they were doing really, really dope things. And I was like, 
if I can do what I did for Target and Walmart and all those other people, I know that I can maintain brands for the mom and pop shops and things like that. And so I would literally sit at home at night and draw my logo over and over and over and over. And I, I was like, I'm going to call it Cheers because good design is worth celebrating. And the moments that good design creates, you know, that's worth celebrating. And so Cheers Creative was born. I put in my 30-day notice in 2011, started it in 2012. And at the time, it was I did mostly brand identity design. And then we ventured also into brand consulting talks and workshops and even uh, group coaching programs. So how has Cheers sort of changed since you found it? Like you mentioned, now you sort of have expanded your offerings, but has it changed in other ways? I'll tell you, I can go more into why we changed the offerings so much. We started out, again, I was a graphic designer, got out here and did graphic design and just noticed that so many business owners needed to address some serious issues in their business, but they were coming to us for logos, websites, the things, you know, kind of the final stages that you arrive to after figuring out who you are as a business. And we was like, okay, we have an opportunity here to just design on top of this. I don't want to say mess, but (laughs) this, this lack of clarity and bamboozle these clients. And we just didn't feel good about doing that. I was like, we need to provide education for these clients so that when we create design for them, it really, really is created from strategy and it'll last longer and the business itself will last longer. And so we made it our business to get get in our client's business. And so we went from asking, what is your favorite color? Uh, What logos inspire you (laughs) to what's your business name and what's your pricing? And why is your pricing so low? Will you consider changing your business name? Because with what you're trying to do, the logo you want will not work. Like we had to really start leading clients and then showing them proof of what we were talking about. And so that's how we got into brand consulting. And that's when we realized, wait a minute, what we know, all of the things that it takes to make a great logo on a website, that, that's the education we need to give the clients. Like a great business We'll make a logo. <laughs> we'll give meaning to a, a logo. So we extract the strategy that we use to design and we created consulting and coaching programs for our clients so that we can start with a, like a, a clean, just clear foundation with just clear messaging, clear about who you're serving, clear about your pricing and all that. And now I'm noticing you're saying we a lot, not necessarily mm-hmm. the royal we, but you have a, a partner you work with also. Mm-hmm. My creative partner, S.O. Tolson. We have been, I mean, everything started with us creating this workbook to just really get real deep answers out of clients. And the workbook just took off and it turned into a workshop and it turned into a group coaching program. And so like, that's the first thing we do where there's one-on-one consulting or group coaching it, everything starts with strategy first and then design comes last. Do you find that clients are receptive to that? Because I don't know, I'm thinking like back when I was really like doing client work through my studio, mm-hmm. it always seemed like clients would, would scoff at that, you know, sort of like you said, they, they come to you at the mm-hmm. kind of the last or final step when they're like, they everything do. else is done. Now I need a logo. And then you're like, wait, 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 let's, step back and you ask questions and they're like, I just want a logo. Like they're thinking of this as more, I guess, transactional in a way. You're right. And I'll be honest. When we first decided to make this step, we we did receive a lot of resistance, but I'm going to say it was for two reasons. Number one is because typically in the graphic design field, you know, and we as designers, we have, we are used to taking what the uh, prospect says they want and saying, okay, I'll give it to you. And so we kind of set that expectation for clients, not realizing we are allowing clients to diagnose their own problems. And doctors don't operate that way. So why should we operate that way? And so at the time, we had this thought process, but we didn't have the language to explain why we should not leave it up to you, the client, to diagnose what your website should be and what the pages should be and what kind of logo you should have. Like, we're the ones that should be worrying about that. Otherwise, we're making you the art director. See, we have the language for that now. We didn't have it then. So part of it wasn't having the language to explain it at the time, but also just the general way 
that the designer-client relationship has been. We have treated our work more like we are just production artists, but the truth is every designer is a strategist, every designer. And so we, we should start presenting ourselves like that. And the better we got at selling and explaining, the more that became, honestly, our number one service. Everybody wants to fig- know who they are <laughs> now, and they see the value in that, and now we have results to show for that. And so for the most part, that's our biggest service, our brand discovery service, that's one-on-one, and then our seven-week branding accelerator. Every designer is a strategist. I love that. I like that quote. I don't know if every designer knows that yet. Like, what made you get to the point where you sort of had that mindset shift to go from, I'm not just, you know, like a set of hands that can do a Mm -hmm. task to, I am a professional that can give you knowledge that designers and me, myself included for a while, I always felt like I wasn't charging enough and I felt like I was tired. And what I realized was the advice I'm giving to clients I'm putting that in there with the with the price of the design, but I'm not charging for it. You see what I'm saying? And so really, we just started, you know, experimenting. Hey, what does it look like for us to come in and diagnose the actual problem before we start designing and create a real service around that? And we just started we we started with a rough draft of that service and it kept getting refined and more refined and more refined. We've done it for individuals, big organizations, and we always get the best design results from those clients when we start there with them first. Mm-hmm. I was mentioning this to you, you know, before we started recording, but, you know, I'll mention it now. I was looking at your Instagram and one of your recent posts, you have this kind of, it's like a before and after picture. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that, I'm assuming it's now because of the pandemic and, of course, because of how you've made the shift. You said, I'm able to take speaking engagements, homeschool my children, have easy mornings and slow dance with my husband in the middle of the day because I stopped pricing for survival and started pricing to build a legacy. Yes. Yeah, that pricing to build a legacy part, like hit me like a bullet like oh mm. i mean that's a that's a powerful line but how mm. can designers that might just be starting out on their own mm. or honestly are still kind of doing mm. this work and not thinking that way how do they how go do they about start? doing this yeah cuz cuz a lot of it is the truth is a lot of designers don't have the confidence to even say their project started four figures or five figures right so let's just take confidence out of the equation okay let's just get out a google sheet Let's get out a Google sheet and name a price and then start subtracting taxes, business expenses and all this other stuff. You will quickly see the number that you absolutely cannot go below. Okay, so then you'll know this is the price I must price. (laughs) This is what stuff must cost at a minimum for me to even do my job. So like when you go to the mechanic, what do they charge you for? Labor and parts. So, you know, at the bare minimum. The parts, you know, the uh, the things I need to run my business. So I look at the way mechanics do work. And when you get an estimate from them, they charge you for what? They charge you for labor and they charge you for parts. So li- literally there's a number they cannot go below because if they do, then what? They're paying you <laughs> to do the job on your car. And a lot of times that's what designers end up doing. We price so low that we don't even make a profit. We can barely pay for the essentials to do our job and we can't invest in the best tools. We can't invest in help. And so then your business ends up kind of becoming this prison that you're trying to get out of because you built it just for one, barely. You barely built it for yourself. And so like, Yes, work on your confidence, but really know your numbers. Know your numbers. Know that, okay, for me and what I'm doing, I can't go below this number on anything or else I won't make a profit and I won't be able to sew back into my business. Yeah, pricing always seems to be a weirdly elusive target sometimes. I think for designers that start out on their own, of course, they want to get business of, you know, Mm -hmm. everyone wants business, but then it's like, you don't want to price yourself out of getting potential clients because there's always going to be someone out there that will do it faster, cheaper, mostly cheaper, but you know, there's always going to be someone out there that will do it for much less. And 
and I don't know if you've encountered this, but I certainly did with my studio. I had a lot of people that would want to lowball me because I'm black. Yes. Like right off the bat. Yes. Some people came to us just assuming because we were a smaller practice and because uh-huh. we're black or because that we were new on the scene. <laughs> that, right. You know, uh, let's, you know, they'll, they'll do this for cheap. And truthfully, in the early years, we were less expensive and we had to unbrand ourselves as the less expensive designers to where, to where we are now. And that takes work. That's why it's important to price yourself appropriately from the gate. If you can, I had a, a mentor that told me every interaction, every conversation, every email you have with, with a prospect, that is an opportunity to brand yourself. So even if you tell the prospect, hey, my project started at the, in the five-figure range, and they say, oh, I can't afford that, they know that that's where you start, and that's what they'll tell other people. Now, if you mess around and tell this prospect, oh, yeah, I started this, you know, some ridiculous price, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, they, they can do it all for way less, and they'll tell everybody, and now you're trapped in, in, this, in this thing, and, it, and, that's, and that can be hard to get out of. And like you said, you almost have to kind of rebrand to let folks know, like, hey, this is what we charge because this is what we offer. Right. This is what we charge because this is what we offer. And I, I've experienced exactly what you're talking about, Maurice, where I gave somebody a um, estimate for a one-page website and people were kind of thinking in terms of quantity. Well, it's just one page. And mm-hmm. these people price this and these people price that. Can you explain why this uh, is this price compared to these competitors? So, well, you know, number one, it's a one page website because it's helping users concentrate on one action. And we know how to build it in a way where people won't leave the website. We yeah. are taking psychology into the equation. And also we've gotten results where our clients have made X amount of money from you know, landing pages, one page websites or whatever. And like, I never answered that. Compare your quote to another's. I don't even, because I'm not in the business. I'm in the business of selling, but I'm not in the business of convincing or begging. Mm. And, the, and, and the truth is when you come from that perspective, I have another mentor that says you have to go into these things. Like you don't have anything to lose. There's been times where the client will come back and be like, okay, send me the invoice. <laughs> you know? Yeah. There was an exact moment where I think for me, it clicked over where I was like, oh, I need to change this. Mm. I was giving a talk at Hands On Atlanta because I was volunteering there and I was giving a talk about sort of website do's and don'ts. And mm-hmm. for people that are listening, Hands On Atlanta is a nonprofit here in Atlanta. They help out healthcare organizations, small businesses, et cetera. And so I was doing this kind of free, you know, talk just about if you have a website, you know, here are some do's and don'ts that you should do. And I remember afterwards, this woman had approached me, this kind of older black woman had approached me and she was telling me that she was looking for, you know, kind of a website for her community gardens and you know, she has programs and all this sort of stuff. And so I was like, yeah, you know, I gave her my card and, you know, she's like, yeah. And, and like, how much is this going to cost? Mm-hmm. And I told her right off the bat, like, I really can't like just give you a number mm-hmm. right off the bat because I have to talk with you and sort of get a mm-hmm. sense of, you know, mm-hmm. what it is you need and what's your budget and what's your timeline, you know. Mm-hmm. And she like leaned in and pinched me. And you know how like when old black women like give you like the pinch and turn? Yes, like, I do. She like she grandma. did that and she was like, Don't charge me like you charge some white folks. Oh my god. And I was like, What? <laughs> what? That was the moment I said, Okay, this this gotta stop. This has to stop. Yeah, I have said a couple of times or two. Uh, or hey, do you uh do you believe in investing in the future or uh, are you really hungry? Right. I, I've heard I've heard it all. Oh, yeah. I know you're down for the cause, brother. You're not going to. I mean, it's still a business. It's still a business. Let's build, fam. I keep doing this. I won't be able to build with anybody, (laughs) you know? Oh, my goodness. So uh, what kind of projects uh, are you working on now? So we do have our long-term design clients. like, And those are the ones that we've done brand strategy with brand consulting and then we do their brand design and their web design on a consistent basis and most of those people are like industry leaders people who are at the top of their field and they do probably a lot of conferences 
talks, they have memberships, courses, and so they just need like consistent branding materials. We also do, for, and, and the thing is, at that level, you know, that type of client has a certain type of income and is ready for the type of websites and the things that we can, that they need, that we need to give them. Right. For people that are not quite, quite there yet, what do they need? They need education. They think they need a logo on a website, but if you don't know who you are, who you are, then your website won't help you. And your web designer, if they don't provide strategy, they won't be able to help you with the, the website, even if it's beautiful. So what we have for people that's not quite ready to make the five-figure investment is we have consulting. And we could and let me tell you what made us another thing that made us start doing that. We had a couple of clients that came to us after a year of just doing their business. They didn't have business cards, they didn't have a website or anything, but what they had was content and and results already. They were busting at the seams with content because they went out there and did the business. They did not wait on a logo or website to get started. And I was like, we need to show business owners how to do this so that we can grow them into the five-figure clients. And if they can't be that right now, then they can take this course or we can work with them one-on-one and do some very intensive brand discovery. Mm -hmm. So we do a lot of that. Okay, so it sounds like you kind of have almost like like a sales funnel in a way. Mm-hmm. So you have these these sort of like lower priced or even free options to get mm-hmm. people in the door. And then once they see what you can do and see the results that you can get, then they know that it's an investment to work with you. Right, right. Absolutely. And And then the other thing is we've already set the expectation, too, that we're not just designers. We are consultants. We are not yes men. We're not yes women. We are we are here to help you. And a lot of times the worst thing we can do is give you exactly what you want. Because if a doctor gave me exactly what I wanted, they would be held liable, okay? <laughs> for some stuff that went that goes wrong. And and so I view our work as something that is that serious. Will we want to help you meet your goals? But, you know, use our tried and true methods and we try to push you a, a little bit to do things that are different because design is war. OK, <laughs> I, I have to make you look different than the other people in your field instead of doing what everybody else is doing, because then what happens? Your stuff may be beautiful, but it just is just a beautiful blur because yeah. it's not standing out. And so we've developed a language to explain why it is important that we do our process this way. So what are the the best types of clients for you to have? Do you work like in a specific industry? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we work with a lot of uh, service-based businesses and we work with a lot of creative professionals. And I can even give you some examples. So I don't know if you're familiar with Tank and the Bangas, but they won. Yeah. They are, okay. Yes. They are the amazing. New Orleans-based funk, jazz, hip hop, spoken word duo, uh, mm-hmm. not duo, but group. Um, they won NPR's 2017 Tiny Desk Contest unanimously out of 6,000 worldwide votes, got 10 million video views. Their manager reached out and was like, we need a website. <laughs> <laughs> and so we came with, so we developed that, but we also in doing that website, what did we do? Develop a look for them. And also something that made uh, people understand that Tank and the Bangers are not breakable. They come together. So even the way we displayed their name, was important. I mean, they end up going on to Verve, uh, signing on to Verve Records um, after that. We do a lot of work with Brandis Daniel of Harlem's Fashion Row, who helps, she helps multicultural fashion designers get equal footing and, and exposure in the fashion industry. And the latest thing she did is she got three black female designers to co-design LeBron James' first women's basketball sneaker. Okay. And so that was a huge thing that happened. And in doing these, uh, getting, getting these designers exposure, she has to create these larger than life fashion shows and this celebrity studded and all types of stuff. And it takes moolah. So she has learned how to get sponsorships at this point. I think she's gotten almost $10 million in corporate sponsorships. And so we were, we were behind the visual strategy for those, for those decks, uh, the visuals for her shows. And then she, because she had gained the knowledge on how to do that thing, now she has a personal brand where she teaches people how to do the same thing for their events. So then we did the branding for her on that on that end. 
So we end up doing a lot of work, honestly, for creative professionals and industry leaders who have a lot of knowledge and now they want to do something with that knowledge. Mm. Has business changed since the pandemic? Yes. The way we do business has changed. We used to do a lot of stuff in person. We used to do a lot of workshops and talks in person. Now, dealing with one-on-one clients, we pretty much worked with them remotely doing video conferencing with them. But we had workshops where we had tools and things we would buy for exercises and stuff like that. And we had to figure out how to make a half-day workshop engaging and completely virtual and engaging for the entire four hours through. And we, we figured it out. <laughs> and we were, and it, we were able to do that. And what we found is there are some advantages to having virtual events that you may not get with in-person. Of course, there's advantages to in-person events. But with virtual events, you tend to be a little less guarded because you're already at home. You're able to concentrate just a little bit more sometimes. And so we were able to help more people in a virtual setting and not have to cap it because now the cost of running the workshop is much lower. So yeah, business has changed quite a bit. It is tra- And honestly, we've had a demand for more consulting because now everybody's like, we need to figure out what we're supposed to be saying right now. We need to figure out who we are. And then in light of all the stuff that happened to Ahmad, Brianna, a lot of corporations are like, we know we're not talking right. We yeah. need to know what we should be saying. And so we went from being designers that's like, hey, we need lo- flyers and logos and business cards to put in the work in to become strategists and designers. And now people come to us saying, help us explain who we are. And then once we have the language to explain who we are, we know we're going to need some visuals to go along with that too. So we need mm-hmm. the whole shebang. <laughs> so yeah, that's what's been going on. What does the the sort of intake process look like? Like, say someone is listening now and they're like, yes, I want to work with Cheers Creative. I know you talk about kind of leading clients with compassion. Is that sort of part of the intake process or is this something that sort of happens later on? It happens from the time you inquire on our inquiry uh, form to, to the time we have a discovery call with you to the time you sign that contract. And pay the invoice to uh, the time we have our first session. And what I say is leading with compassion. Okay, so let me explain what I mean by that. Again, the designer-client relationship, for the most part, has always been, hey, designer, I need X, Y, D. Can you deliver it by this date? And then, for the most part, the designers say yes. So, in a way, we're the ones that set the, the expectations for clients. You really can't be mad at them. You really can't, you know. You know, our industry has operated like that for so long. Even big agencies have operated like that. What text do you want to see on your website? You're supposed to tell me that. You know? <laughs> and so because I know that that was what the perception is, when you get on the phone with me, I listen to you. I ask you a lot of questions and I ask you why. And I keep asking you why. And I disarm. You know, I, I'll even give you an example. One of our favorite clients, Dr. Nina Ellis Hervey of YouTube. Her username is Beautiful Brown Baby Doll. She's a YouTube influencer. She teaches people how to take care of their bodies and their minds because she's also a clinical psychologist, psychology professor. She has a very impressive resume, but she is like country, just like me. And she's down, <laughs> she down to earth. And she had 500,000 subscribers when we met her, and it took her about eight years to get that. And when she came to us, she thought she needed a logo design. And it was a cartoon of herself. And I was able to tell her, don't you know you don't need that anymore because you're the icon, Dr. Nina? People just need to see you. We've been working together ever since, ever since. And she has allowed us to lead her, even from the colors that we use. Okay, we see everybody else in this space is using the stereotypical uh, stereotypical feminine color palettes. Why don't we set you apart by doing something else? Even so, like, just being very strategic, and even being strategic with what she offers and how she, what channel she distributes her content through so things don't get messy. But what we, we didn't tell her, oh, you don't need that. You have to learn how to talk to people, mm-hmm. you know, because people really want things to show that we are professional and we've been around and we've been here and we want something like Nike. We want something like Starbucks. We want something like so-and-so and so-and-so. And you have to do a lot of disarming and asking why. And saying, you know, don't you know you just need this right here? 
Let me tell you why. And that's what I mean by being firm, but leading with compassion and even saying we don't start with design right away because we have to do discovery to even figure out what the problem is. Mm -hmm. And then we explain that. And by the time we're done, for the most part, people are like, yes, I need that. I need that. Mm -hmm. And then we go on to having our branding consultations and really diagnosing the problem. And it gets to the point where we discover, wait a minute, you got too many offerings. Wait a minute. Your pricing is a little off. Wait a minute. (laughs) You know, you got some other things uh, going on here that need to be addressed. You know, you want a new logo, but your business name is too long. Like, you know, and we had to develop boldness in telling people that because people get very attached uh, to to things that they created for their businesses, their babies. Oh, yeah. yeah. So you, you have to treat that with care. There are no nightmare clients. There are clients who are out here fighting for their life and they put everything they have into their business and they're trusting you with it and they are scared. Mm. And that's what and that's what you have to realize. And if you have the language to disarm and comfort them and be firm, you will be fine. Then that and that is the bulk of your work as a designer, being able to disarm and sell simple solutions, not solutions that hide the client, because a lot of them do want to hide. I want a logo that explains everything that I am so I can go sit down. And we have to tell them, no, we can't, we can't do that, you know. Yeah. I've told uh, designers before that want to start out with freelancing that a lot of it, especially dealing with clients, is psychology. It like is. there's so much. It's almost like you're you're their therapist in a way. It's because true. this is something that they're, so, like you said, they're so attached to it. They know it inside and out. And so you're asking questions to try to get to their level, at least, of understanding or comprehension about what it is they do and yeah clients can be mad defensive and and, and like really not just even defensive but like also just being super guarded about different parts of the business or no we can't change this or we have to change that you know they just want the thing that they want like you said yeah and it could and that's the image that they've been having in their head forever and so and also you you know at this point the more than more than likely they never had a designer that's also a consultant. So mm. they don't really know what to do with that. And so I have to speak plainly to you. I have to, Barack Obama got one of the highest IQs on this planet, but he talks in a way to where a sixth grader can understand him. Yeah. And so that's one of your tools you, sh- you should use as a designer. Don't talk so they'll think you smart. Talk for understanding and really explain to them why they need what it is they need. And for those that say, no, I need it by this, even with timelines, when you get down to the meat of it, because it seems like everybody wants everything in 30 days. I don't yep. know what that's about, but <laughs> oh, I want it by my birthday or I want it by this. I want it by that. And then when we keep asking why and why and why and why, next thing you know, you know what? My timeline isn't that, uh, <laughs> isn't that important. Mm-hmm. Instead of telling them, well, that's impossible or we're not going to do it by this date. What is the why is that date significant? What is what is the difference between five months and six months? And we yeah, it, it, it is like it is almost like therapy. I, I darn near was tempted to get a life coaching certification not to be a life coach, but to because we get into some very deep conversations where clients are crying. They are crying and partners are arguing with each other. Or they are thinking about something that's making them feel kind of sentimental. And when you get to that point, it's like, okay, I am a strategist. I'm a designer. But I I started feeling a responsibility to like, how can I continue to handle these people with care? Yeah. But I don't want to be a life coach. I'm taking life coach lessons so that I know how to talk to clients about sensitive issues responsibly. All of this for for design. All of this. (laughs) But it's more than a logo. Just like you said, it's it's bigger than that. And they have to see that it's bigger than that. And if I can get you to see that you are enough, you won't ask me for a logo that's got 10,000 icons in it that you don't have the marketing dollars to market in the first place. You know, (laughs) so if I can get you to see that you are enough. You won't create 20,000 products and there's no need for you to have a 20 page website at that point. Like it all ties back to 
Do you know that you're enough? And then let's give you some facts to show you why you don't have to be on team too much. And let us show you how we can help you sell with simplicity. And let us show you why you must invest in simplicity. Because simplicity is an art. And mm-hmm. that is an investment. Sim- simplicity is not cheap. That's true. That's very true. I want to kind of switch gears here a little bit because certainly, you know, in these, you know, as we've been talking, I definitely get the sense of Dana, the businesswoman, the consultant. But I want to know, like, where that all came from. Did you did you grow up in Memphis? Yes, I did. <laughs> I grew up in Memphis, grew up um, and I was always the art kid, always the one drawn. I was that kid. Everybody knew. Give me a Crayola kit. For Christmas, just give me Crayola, <laughs> give me, give me Crayola, give me crayons. And if you gave me anything other than Crayola, I was like, you don't love me. You don't love me like you say you do. <laughs> give me the good stuff. So, in, so anyway, and, I, and there's a lot of artists in my family and illustrators and things like that was always looked at as a not necessarily something that you grow up to do work in. You have to think about it. Growing up in the 80s and 90s. What black agency owners, uh, agency owners did I know? None. What successful black artists did I know in uh, my immediate area? None. And the only representation you have on TV of artists is what? These floaty, spacey artists that don't belong anywhere, change their mind all the time and, you know, just kind of not really rooted. <laughs> and so there's this stereotype that people buy into or used to buy into when you think of an artist. Oh, my God, they're not going to have insurance. Oh, my God, they're not uh, going to be stable. Oh, my God, they're not going to have money. And when I went to college, I went to uh, college undecided and I was working at Target at the time. And I was in love with the seasonal posters at Target and just the experience of Target. And I saw this girl on my campus. She was a Delta and she, her hair was in a wrap and it was bouncing. She had this big portfolio. I said, what do you do? She said, I'm a graphic design major. I said, what is that? Again, <laughs> this is 2001. Uh-huh. Okay. And so I went, I went from undecided to being a graphic design major the next year because wow. I saw sister girl with this bouncy wrap fly as hell with this portfolio. And I was like, I can do this because I saw her. I saw a reflection of me. And so that's when I got into graphic design. And it just so happened that I liked it. I liked it a lot. I didn't do too well at the first school I went to, but I did extremely well at University of Memphis. And that's when I started to really understand design concepts, how to not just programs, but how to think and conceptualize uh, like a designer. So do you feel like, you know, that program really kind of prepared you once you got out there as a working designer? Yeah. Yeah. So because I I was a working designer for a long time. So I graduated from college in 2007. Right. Mm -hmm. And when I got out, there were, you know, jobs and stuff that I got where the employers told me we hired you because you came from University of Memphis. We knew that you were going to know your stuff, that we were going to know just the basics and that was very valuable to me when I was going out looking for work in corporate America. Now, one of the the places that you worked at this place called Whitmore, you were there for almost four years. What do you remember about that time? What I remember was, okay, I was a print designer there. And through that company, I did print design for packaging, houseware items. So everything from hangers, hampers, to dryer balls, to uh, clothing racks, and whether it was in Whitmore's brand packaging or it was white labeled for Target, Aldi's, Home Depot, Lowe's, Container Store. So in doing that, what ended up happening was I got I had access to all these big brands, brand guides. And I was literally designing stuff that was sitting on the shelves in Target. And if you go into some of these stores, some of the stuff I designed is still on the shelves to this day. Okay? And so... I learned what it meant to protect a brand through visuals there that, okay, it's not over when you have a logo. Now, where do we put it? Where do we place it? What are the brand funds? What are the colors? And what is the tone of the photography? This is how you protect a brand. And I never, I always, I took that lesson with me. And then even just the way I learned, you know, the professional way to send emails, the way you organize your files, all that, I still kind of follow some of that in the way I run business now. 
So it sounds like you kind of had that almost like a behind the scenes view as to what this all would look like and how you can sort of find your part in it. Right. Now, what's interesting is I never worked at an agency and I always felt that I was missing out because I never worked at an agency. I was always an in-house designer. So I didn't get a behind the scenes look into the agency world, but I did get a behind the scenes look into what it means to run an enterprise. So I'm so thankful for that. So from there, what was the catalyst that made you start Cheers? I was still doing freelance. I was doing freelance at the time. And I wanted to do more for Memphis business owners. And just not the job, but corporate America. I was a single mother at the time. And my life, the way it went is I got up early, had to get my son to before school care. I go to work, then he goes to school, then he goes to after school care, and I pick him up, and he's gone from me like 11 hours a day. And I'm tired, and I'm just giving him the remnants of my energy. And I was like, I cannot do this anymore. I cannot do this anymore. I need to have a life that has more time freedom. And then I started listening to podcasts about entrepreneurship because I did not know really, this was what, 2009 at the time? I didn't really know what entrepreneurship was all about because at the time, again, I was a single mother in college, graduated from college. My goal was to just be self-sufficient, get out of my parents' house and prove to myself that I can make it on my own. And that's as far as I saw. And so I did that when I got my corporate jobs, but then I started wanting more. And that's when I started learning about entrepreneurship. And so just learning to want and ask and work for more, that's what happened. Wow. So I'm curious, you know, I I definitely get the sense, you know, that you've built your confidence up over the years and it's kind of been like a continual practice. It sounds like. Mm-hmm. For those that are are listening that want to get to that point, what would you recommend for them like to help build their confidence to that level where they can price effectively, talk with clients, that sort of thing? I would tell you this, especially in this virtual world, try your best to not be by yourself. Join as many groups as you can with other like-minded designers so you can see what's normal. You can see the, what the normal struggles are so that you can learn what other designers are going through so that you know you're not alone. And what I do know is, you know, you're going to be scared, but some fear you can get rid of with knowledge. So start reading books, certain YouTube channels, like the future. They, oh my God, they are Christo, great. Yeah. Yes. So start looking at, start looking at them or reading the blogs and just not, ju- and not just looking at what it takes to be a good designer, but getting resources that show you how to be a good business person. Mm-hmm. And so that you're not going into it blindly and so that you can cut some years of mistakes, <laughs> you know, out of your journey. Knowledge replaces a lot of fear, a lot of fear. Some fear is you just going to have because if you really care about what you're putting out, you know what? I notice, and I tell my clients this, you're going to always have fear. If you see Beyonce, the top selling, top performer we have alive in the world, shaking and praying before a performance. You don't think you're going to be scared? And this woman has literally beat her, her, her routine into herself. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so that, so just that she just cares. She cares about what she puts out and she cares about giving people a good time, a good performance. So, and if you're that type of person, you're always going to have a fear that, or some type of nervousness that comes from that place. But, and you may have imposter syndrome sometimes too. But just always know, you know more than somebody. And because of that, you are a consultant. You don't have to have a Ph.D. in what you're doing. My partner, S.O. Tolson, he said, you don't have to have a Ph.D. in what you're doing. You can have a master's. And he's talking about metaphorically. Mm -hmm. And with that being said, you can still get out here and lead people because you have information that people don't know. You think everybody knows it, but this is your world. That's not their world. So. Knowledge definitely does replace a lot of fear. I'm glad that you kind of sort of put it in that in that context. And yeah, the future is a great resource. I remember when did I start watching stuff from the future? Actually, I remember when you might remember this too. Remember when it was the school? It was Mm. him and it it was Chris and it was a guy named uh, Jose Caballero, I think was his name. And so I remember it was the two of them. Like I remember I was first starting out 
my studio in I think it was oh nine. Yeah, like oh nine, because I was working on a camp a political campaign at the same time. But mm-hmm. I remember I would watch their videos and they would go back and forth and talk about, you know, mm-hmm. how you price business and how you deal with clients and things like that. And like now Chris has sort of spun off into the future and has right. built it up into this huge, great, great resource. So right. and, and for those listening, it's the future with no E. So F U T U R the yeah. future. So check that out. Right. Oh, if you don't mind, I want to tell you one more thing that boosted my confidence. Sure. So I saw a girl on campus with this bouncy wrap that was flat. <laughs> and she was a designer. She was a design student. And then when I got into the entrepreneurship world, I'm like, okay, now I'm married and I have three children. I have twins. A lot of my contemporaries, it seems like they're, you know, they're single. They don't have a lot of outside responsibility. Will I be able to compete? Is this life even for me? And I messed around and was online looking at some examples of good websites built with WordPress, which ended up becoming my tool of choice for building mm-hmm. websites. And I found the work of Janae Peterson, mm-hmm. who is originally from the Caribbean, but then she moved to Georgia and she is an amazing designer. And she was a health conscious mom. She was a Walmart ambassador. She had a blog And she was married and she had babies and she was this just big, beautiful woman with this big hair. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's me. You mean (laughs) to tell me I don't have to look like so-and-so? You mean to tell me that she just, her being herself showed me that there was room for me. And I studied that woman for like two years straight. I did. I studied everything she did. And I got the, I found her on Facebook years later and I said, I just want you to know, you to know you've been my mentor in my head for years. And she said, you've been a mentor in my head. I fell out. <laughs> she has done, um, she's done, you know, lovey, you know, she has awesomely lovey. Well, lovey has a personal website. Uh-huh. She did love, Lovey's personal website. And she's cold. She is cold. We vibe a lot and we have a lot of the same, issues and you know we just bounce ideas off off of each other but because i saw her and i saw somebody that looked like me you mean to tell me i don't have to straighten my hair to take headshots now (laughs) i got 30 inch wigs just like everybody else i love me a good 30 inch but what i'm saying is there's a problem when you feel like you have to show up in a specific way to be accepted Mm. she was herself and i was like well shoot Gosh darn it, I'm going to be out here by myself, out here uh, being myself with my Afro too. She was yeah. a catalyst for that, for me showing up as myself. Have you had any other mentors that have really like helped you out along the way? Yes, I have a, a mentor named Kwaku, Kwaku Amuti. And he has done work for the New York Jets, Samsung, the Kardashians, a lot of people and some, some people, you know, a lot of stuff I can't really name, but he's done stuff for everybody. And he has always shown me, this is what it looks like when you get to this level. This is what it looks like when you get to that level. And he's been a person I can call when I'm like, Hey, does this proposal look right? Mm -hmm. You know, that was invaluable to me. Invaluable. Somebody who has done the type of work that he's done for different clients to be able to to call him. Uh, I actually met him through Brandis Daniel from Harlem's Fashion Row because they, he was her designer at first. And then I started designing for her and then we ended up connecting and he saw my work and he came to me and said, I would like to be your mentor. I was like freaking a, are you kidding me? Wow. Wonderful relationship. And he has taken um, me along with him on some of these <laughs> client adventures. And the education that I have gotten with Kwaku is something that is something that's like none other, honestly. So one question that I've been asking every guest this year, and, you know, as we as I told you before we recorded, the way that this question has been answered has changed because I initially came up with it last year at the Black and Design Conference at Harvard University because the theme there was Black Futurism and they were talking about like building equitable futures. And as I asked this question at the beginning of the year with 2020 being such a, I think, important year when people think about the future in general, the questions have changed, of course, now because of the pandemic and coronavirus and everything. So how are you using your skills to help build a more equitable future? Oh, my goodness. 
First of all, <laughs> I feel like one of the luckiest people in the world because I was prepared already to be virtual, right? And mm-hmm. I was already prepared to pivot. And I will say before this pandemic happened, we started making the move as designers, packaging our knowledge into standalone services. And that honestly has been our saving grace this entire year. And just showing other people how to do the same thing, how to become pandemic proof, how to like, and what do I mean by that? That doesn't necessarily mean create a new thing. It could yeah. mean tweak, tweaking your messaging so that people understand your product or service is just as necessary as toilet paper, Lysol, and, and hand sanitizer. Uh-huh. People need things that make them feel good. People need things that give them a sense of normalcy. And if you can create the type of messaging that shows that, you will sell. And so just packaging my knowledge, that has been saving grace for us. But then teaching other people how to take their businesses completely online, that is my community saving grace. I feel like that, that's, that's community work. I and mean, we've done that with a lot of entrepreneurs in Memphis and across the country. And it's a pivot that we did. It came right on time. It really did. Pandemic proof. You might want to trademark that. I'm telling you. Go if do you, something. If you decide domain name. Look, I was gonna say if you decide to to write a book or something and and put that in there because I think right now you know we've been in this this mm-hmm. pandemic and different levels of lockdown and stuff across the country now for most of the year and it looks like we're on track to continue this into yes. 2021 yes. and I feel like. It can be, oh, I just know I'm speaking from personal experience, but also from folks I've spoken with. Like, it's Mm -hmm. difficult to plan when there's so much uncertainty. Like, you've got large, huge businesses that are just shutting down because they can't weather the storm. And I mean, the storm, granted, is a mix of things. It's not just one particular thing, but like Mm -hmm. being able to show small businesses how to persist in the face of that, like, that's a book. It's a thing. And it's like... As a small business owner who doesn't have a lot of overhead as some of the big companies and doesn't have, you know, a whole bunch of stuff, you can make decisions quicker. Yeah. You can pit you can pivot quicker. And so during this pandemic, we've had we've shown students how to pivot to where they have clear messaging and now they're in the New York Times. We have one client, uh one student, Christina McCarter, who did city tours. She took she before the pandemic, she took people on tours of Memphis through food and, and tasting different foods and restaurants. She pivoted her business during our seven-week branding accelerator to where she's bringing the taste of Memphis to you in a safe way and also putting money in the pockets of the Memphis restaurants mm-hmm. who she you know, had in her t- city tasting box. She ended up in the New York Times in the wow. middle of the pandemic. You know, We've had students that ended up in Essence and all types of stuff. And, you know, some of our branding students were kind of thrust into full-time entrepreneurship because they got laid off unexpectedly. And they had the tools to keep going and keep making a profit. So it is possible to become pandemic-proof. And this is not my client, but I can't remember. Moon Cosmetics, 20-year-old black woman out of um, Atlanta, Mm -hmm. made a million dollars in a few minutes in the middle of this pandemic. Because people... Yeah, I wish I could remember. I feel like it's Moon XL or L. I can't remember Moon Cosmetics, but she was in Ford. She was all over the place. 20 years old, selling skincare products, sold out in uh, in minutes and made a million dollars. And 20 years old. And it's because and during a pandemic, because people need what normalcy to feel good, and now people are getting into what self care. I'm at home. I might as well wash my face. Okay, so she, <laughs> so she, she, you know, she capitalized off of that, and I'm so proud of her. And I always show my students people like that that are doing that. In 20 years old, out of Atlanta, I believe. Yeah, I'm looking. It's uh, it's Moon X Cosmetics. Her name yes. is Marie Revere. Yeah, Moon X Cosmetics. I stay trying to get. She stay out of stock. She stays. It's in. It's just. She's just in such high demand. Wow, this is amazing. I'm looking at it now on Forbes. This is mm-hmm. impressive. Wow. Yeah. So we show our clients people like that, and like, hey, you don't have to give up during this pandemic. You can pivot, and you can make your business virtual. We have food scientists 
that said, you know what, I'm going to make food science classes for kids. And now she has contracts with museums and schools to teach Mm -hmm. kids food science. A food scientist during a pandemic, (laughs) Allie Manning, okay, of uh, Umami Food Food Consulting, Mm -hmm. okay, she did that. And she calls me continuously to telling me about the, the wonderful things that are happening to her. That is amazing. One thing that I definitely am getting is that Memphis, I mean, is a big part of your story. You grew up yes. there. You live there now. You do work for the Memphis community. Like, what is it about the city that inspires you to give back? Ooh, what I love about Memphis most is the Black creative entrepreneurial community. It is like none other. And black business owners were the first people to give me a chance as a freelancer. They let me use them as guinea pigs. Hey, I'm going to try this service on you. I'm going to try that service on you until until I got. And that was before I launched Cheers. I was just trying to figure out what I'm going to do. And they gave me the chance. And what I said is I'm going to overdo it on purpose. I'm going to make them have the Taj Mahal of what a mom and pop shop should have when it comes to branding and web or a nonprofit or a singer or whatever. And that started attracting even bigger clients with bigger budgets. The next thing you know, I'm working with folks all over the world and getting pressed. But all of that happened right here in Memphis. And I'm surrounded by black Memphis entrepreneurs who have figured out how to work remotely, how to work with people all over the world, how to make impact all over the world. And it's it's amazing. Uh, We got a content creator here, uh, Munira Jones, who just created a six-part animated webisode series for the OWN Network. Memphis, Tennessee, okay? Uh, (laughs) We have just people like that everywhere. And a lot of people don't know that about Memphis. And so I feel a responsibility (laughs) to let people know, don't sleep, okay? (laughs) This 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 is what I'm surrounded by. All the time. We even had friends and creatives come from other cities and ended up moving here and doing extremely well. Nice. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Mm. I see myself in the next five years. First of all, I love to talk my head off. I love to teach. I see myself teaching continuously about confidence for creative professionals. I see myself teaching designers how to stand up for themselves, but also get them get the best results for their clients. But then I also see us teaching designers our design process so that they can also uh, be strategists, you know, and work on amazing project uh, projects and be leaders. Like I see us building our company um, that way, almost like Gray's Anatomy was a teaching hospital. Mm-hmm. I see Cheers Creative being a teaching agency. Nice. A teaching agency. I like that. Well, just to kind of, you know, wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work and everything you're doing online? Well, my agency website is www.cheerscreative.com. And we are everywhere at Cheers Creative. We're not going to make it hard for you. Cheers Creative. And then... <laughs> My website, my personal website, and that's where you can see some of the interviews and talks and things that I've done. And if you're a creative professional that needs some or a digital designer that needs some clarity on some things, hit me up at www.danajamesmwange.com. And I am on Instagram at Dana James Mwange, and I stay on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the homie and I stay on there. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Nice. So we'll have to connect on LinkedIn if we're not already. I use it a lot as well, too. Yeah, it's, I've gotten amazing opportunities through LinkedIn. Um, a lot of consulting and teaching opportunities through, through there. So, yeah, we should connect on LinkedIn. Absolutely. Well, Dana James Mwangi, I want to thank you so much for, well, one, for coming on the show. Like I, I mentioned, you know, before we started recording, I feel like our conversation has been a long time coming, but uh There is so many gems that you dropped in this interview about just like 
being a leader in your business, valuing your work, valuing yourself, Mm -hmm. and how doing that is a form of self-care for entrepreneurs. Because, you know, there's this whole mentality, I feel like, with Black entrepreneurs, that's very much, you know, we sleep, they grind, Mm -hmm. you know, hustle hard. It's it's all of that. And like, none of that really takes into account any opportunities for rest, for reflection, you yeah. know, or, or even for confidence. It's like a constant grind. And so I'm, yeah. I'm glad to hear how you have not only found a balance, but are also imparting that knowledge onto other people. So I'm, I'm definitely interested to see in five years, this teaching agency, because that sounds amazing. <laughs> I'm excited to see it too. And you know how I'm going <laughs> to get there? Like you said, resting, because resting is part of the work for creative professionals. When you're resting, that is the work because your mind is renewing itself. Mm-hmm. You that, that's, that's part of the creative process. So yeah, rest. So you yeah. can create better, better things. <laughs> Dana James Mwangi, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. I loved this, Maurice. Thank you so much for having me. Big, big thanks to Dana James Mwangi. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Dana and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. Are you looking for some creative consulting for your next project? Then let's do lunch. Visit us at yepitslunch.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry, with engineering and editing by RJ Basilio. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. So what did you think of this episode? Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram, or even better, by leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. I'll even read your review right here on the show. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.